Well, good morning. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. And as a part of my ongoing vow, I promise that my Mother's Day gift to all of you mothers and all of you ladies is that I will not have any Mother's Day jokes to share with you today. Now, it's, yeah, see, it's, it's a confusing thing. I know some of you are disappointed by it and others are very grateful. And so, despite all the ones that were offered to me this morning by several of you gentlemen, I got to stick with what my, I got to stick with the promise that I made. Um, although, since I don't get paid like any big salary or anything, or actually I don't get paid any salary, so every now and then I like to make these self-serving announcements, but I'm going to take this opportunity, not only to wish all of you a happy Mother's Day, but to wish my wife a happy Mother's Day, um, my mother-in-law a happy Mother's Day, my mother a happy Mother's Day. I just make sure they're all here, because no sense wasting it if they're not. <laughs> my, uh, my grandmother a happy Mother's Day. All right. All right. There you go. So now you don't expect me to take you out to lunch now afterwards, do you? All righty. Okay. In 1988, there was an event that took place in Alaska that literally captured the attention of the whole world. And it wasn't an oil spill, and it wasn't some newfound oil supply, and it wasn't an earthquake. It was something much more captivating than that. The eyes of the world were focused on two California whales that had gotten trapped inland before they had a chance to get out to the open ocean. Now, if you remember this event, which was pretty fascinating, these two whales got caught inland. I guess they got, you know, they were packing, they were getting ready to go down to Mexico, and they they were running late, you know, kind of like we all do. And next thing you know, they got stuck with a winter storm that came in quicker than they thought, and they got stuck under the ice inland, many miles from the open ocean. And so a few Eskimos saw this plight that was taking place with these two whales, and biologists even named them. One was named Bonnet and the other Crossbeak, so we got to know them up close and personal. But uh, these Eskimos saw that these whales were trapped, and so what they started to do was punch holes in the ice. And they were leading these whales out to the ocean, and they would begin punching ice holes so that the whales could come up and breathe through the hole and then go back down and go to the next opening. And, uh, but the problem was the winter storm had moved in a lot quicker than anyone had anticipated. It was colder than they thought, and the ice started to freeze up quicker than these Eskimos could get these whales free. So a couple companies in that area saw this going on, and uh, one of them volunteered. In fact, one company sent an 11-ton screw tractor, which basically it's kind of like a big science fiction thing with legs, and it was walking, and it would drill holes down into the ice to, to make it a little more... Uh, expedient to get these, thing, these whales to the ocean, but even that wasn't working. And so then the National Guard sent in two CH-54 sky crane helicopters, and they dropped five-ton concrete bashers onto the ice mile after mile after mile, and they were leading these whales out to the open ocean. And that didn't work, and then finally the Soviets arrived with a 22-ton, 11-story tall icebreaker And it had two flags flying side by side, that of the United States and that of the Soviet Union. And finally, after three weeks, it took three weeks and $1.5 million, Bonnet and Crosbeak slipped out to the open sea and headed for Mexico for a well-deserved vacation to munch on some chips and salsa and some tacos. And, you know, I thought, what an interesting thing. Because for three weeks, you know, you read about it, you saw it on the news, you saw what was going on, and for three weeks this was taking place. And I thought, man, isn't it fascinating 
Or maybe even, isn't it strange what human beings are willing to do for whales that we're unwilling to do for one another? Risk life and limb, spend an enormous sum of money. I thought it was kind of ironic that the Soviet flag and the U.S. flag were flying side by side for this particular rescue mission. And yet we put so little effort into helping other human beings find freedom that comes with being rightly related to God. I don't know about you, but I think that there's some real irony to this whole story. And I believe that it's long past the time that we recognize the importance of leading others to freedom. Because really, if you stop and think about everything that we've been talking about up to date in this series, that's really what grace is all about. Grace is about leading other people to freedom. The freedom that we have in our relationship with God, the freedom from the bondage that we talked about last week of sin and all the entrapments that go along with it, but leading other people to freedom. You know, we'll free whales, but we'll not free up one another. And I think it's time for a change. I think it's time that we lead others to freedom and out of bondage. I think it's time that we need to recognize that that is our responsibility. Now, I realize every time I talk about freedom, there, there's something within not only me, but probably many of you that says, but, but, but doesn't freedom have its limits? I mean, you don't want to free people up totally so they really feel like they're totally free. I mean, you have to have some type of control because doesn't freedom have its limits? You know, it, it, shouldn't there be some type of constraints or parameters that are placed on freedom? Because if you free people up, they may take advantage of their freedom. And, and that's absolutely true. And we need to recognize that, and we'll deal with that, and we'll talk about that. Yes, absolutely, grace can be taken advantage of. Grace can be abused. We can abuse our freedom. We can abuse all of the freedoms that God has given us. But we need to understand we're free nonetheless, and we need to recognize that there are choices that each of us have to make. And each of us have to make that. Grace can be and sometimes is abused, and limitations are appropriate and necessary. But you know what's interesting to me? And what I'll challenge you to consider is that I cannot find any verse in the Bible that requires me to restrain you or you to restrain me. I will not, I can't find a single passage, I can't find a single verse that says it's my job to restrain your freedom. And I'll bet you can't find one either. Because you know why? The best restraint is self-restraint. And the best restraint being self-restraint, the only way that we can restrain ourselves is the fact that God has given each of His children the Holy Spirit and His presence within our lives is what restrains us from doing that which is wrong before God. It is God's job through the work of His Holy Spirit in the life of every believer to convict us of things that we're doing wrong before God and restrain us from doing evil in the sight of God. It is His job in our lives to recognize that problem and to deal with it. And let me tell you something. He does a real good job at it. He does an excellent job at it and doesn't need your help. In fact, if anything, he's doing a lot better job at restraining us than we are at freeing one another up. You follow what I'm saying? I'll tell you what, this is important to understand. Our job is to lead people to freedom, and God's job is to restrain us. Let him do his job, and now it's time that we begin to do ours.
You follow me? Little amen, anybody? There you go. That's the way to get into it this morning. Yeah, I'm feeling it now. All righty. Well, what are we going to do about it? Let's take a look at a couple of things. What I would suggest that we do, and what helps me, and I believe will help you, is that we need to take a look at some breathing holes that God punches in the ice. You ready? These are some truths regarding freedom. This is what God has to say, and I think it's important we take a look at it. Galatians 5, 1. You can memorize these, meditate on these, think about them, dwell on them. I mean, live them, learn them, and enjoy them. Because to me, I feel sometimes that people can trap me under ice to where I can't breathe. Do you ever feel that way? You can't turn one way or the other without somebody getting in your face telling you that that's not the direction you should go. That's not the way you should go. They've been praying about it for you. And God told them to tell you this is what you should be doing. And I always wonder about that. And I appreciate that when people say that to me. But I always think, you know what? Well, you know what? God's got my number. He can just dial me direct. But we'd like to do that. This is the way you should go. This is what you should be doing. Don't you know? I really feel this. I sense this. Thank you for sharing that. God's got my number. And His Spirit lives within me. And He can tell me direct. But we need to understand that these are breathing holes. These will free us up. We need to just take a good old deep breath and just poke our head above the ice. Kind of like those. You ever take your kids to Chuck E. Cheese? This is what I think sometimes. This is what life's all about. This is pretty sad that I think this way, but it's true. Sometimes I think it all comes down to that little gopher machine. You know what I'm talking about? The one of those kids stand there with that little mallet, man. Yeah, you all going like this. They're all sitting there going... And the, and the little gopher heads pop up and smack it, staying right on top of the head. You know, sometimes I think that's, that's the, the world that we live in. It's like we pop our head up for air, look around, and hurry up and duck back down again because someone's saying, that's not what you're supposed to do. It's like, wait a minute, leave me alone. Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It's for freedom that we've been set free. But we need to understand something. He's saying, you know what? But there's a danger of going back into slavery. There's a danger of being led into slavery. And in this particular case, the danger is, is that we can lead one another back to slavery. You ever notice that? There's a freedom that comes in a relationship with God. You begin to, it was like, I, I remember when I gave my life to the Lord and all of a sudden I start reading the Bible and I felt free of all the guilt and all the man-made regulations and rules and policies and restrictions. And if you don't do this, then this is what's going to happen. If you do this, then this maybe will happen. And you're, you know, this and that and the other thing. And it's like you're trapped by all this stuff. And all of a sudden you're free. And you recognize that you're free. And you start reading the Bible and you're excited about things that are going on. And then all of a sudden people come into your life and they say, oh no, you need to be doing this. And all of a sudden they start dragging you back to all these rules and regulations. And the joy that you had is now all gone. Because now it's a list of do's and don'ts again and all the stuff that people want you to be. And so you start going that way. And what he's saying is, don't let people lead you back to slavery. It's for freedom you've been set free. Take a big deep breath of it and enjoy it. Smile once in a while. It's okay. It's for freedom. Don't. That's he says, stand firm. I love it because it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, to me it's an athletic expression. It means dig in deep. If you're a batter, just dig in at the plate. If you're a football player, a linebacker, honker down and dig in and don't let anybody move you out of that way. 
Don't let anybody lead you direction you're not supposed to go in the direction that God doesn't want you to go. If you know the Lord and the Spirit of God lives within you, He will direct you quite finely. Thank you. But dig in. Don't let it happen to you because people are going to want to do it. Why? Because people want control. People want control of one another. It's a problem that we have to deal with. Either God's in control or people are in control. And, there's no, and I'm not saying anything's wrong with authority in Romans 13 and God's established it and we need to recognize it in its proper place. So don't take what I'm saying today out of context. But what I am saying, keep it in context, and that is this. If you are a person who likes to manipulate and control other people, stop doing it. And if they won't stop doing it, don't let them do it to you. Romans 6, 5 through 7, the same thought. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Freedom. The first thought is don't let people lead you back to bondage or slavery. The second thought is, don't let sin lead you back to bondage and slavery. Don't go back to the old lifestyle. Don't start doing the old things that aren't pleasing to God. And you know how you'll know what sin is? The Spirit of God living in your life will tell you what sin is. James 4, 17, it says, To him who knows the right thing and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. God allows us and teaches us individually what truth is. We need to recognize that. But we also need to recognize these breathing holes and start to enjoy them. Take a deep breath. Romans 8, 31 through, 8, 2, and then 31 through 32, we read this. Because, Christ, because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. He goes on to say, what then shall we say in response to all of this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He's saying God didn't hold back his best. He gave us His Son. What, 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 what more can He give? He will give us the delights of our heart as they are pleasing to Him. We can enjoy all things. God's grace is for us to enjoy. In John eight thirty two, He says this, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Verse 36, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I like this stuff. I think it's something we need to hear. I like breathing in deep the freedom that comes with knowing God. I like to enjoy the grace of God, and I do not like to be constrained by other people and their principles or their beliefs or their convictions and all these things. And we need to recognize that there's a danger for all those things to happen. Let me give you an example. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me in first, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10. I want to give you an illustration of a problem that was taking place in the church at Corinth, and God gives them a whole bunch of breathing holes for them to enjoy. The church at Corinth was right down the street from church in Athens. It was right down, just down around the corner a few miles up the hill. And this church at Corinth, they were having a specific problem at this particular church. And what Paul was saying was, let me give you some breathing holes here. Let me help you to enjoy the freedom that you now have in Christ that you never recognized before. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, let's start with verse 23. 
Okay, we read this. <clears throat> all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you wish to go, eat anything that's set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone should say to you, this meat sacrificed to idols, this is meat sacrificed to idols, don't eat it for the sake of the one who informs you and for conscience sake. I mean, not your own conscience, but the other man's, for why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of, church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, that they may be saved. He introduces a problem that's taken place in this particular culture at that particular time. And in verse 23 and 24, the introduction is this. You know what? All things are lawful, but not all things are always profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things build one another up or edify. So let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. So the principle that he establishes, we need to be concerned about the welfare of one another. We need to be able to free one another up. We need, need to be able to make sure that we're not causing one another to stumble. And basically, we're putting the, the welfare of another person many times before our own welfare for their sake. And so he goes and he begins to explain a cultural problem that was taking place. What was happening at this particular time was that there were idol worshipers who would take meat to make sacrifices to their idols. So they would take a piece of this meat and they would offer it to their idols, but the rest of the carcass of the animal was taken to a meat market and then it was sold to the open market. And so what was happening was that people would go into the meat market and they were buying meat. And they would take it home and they would enjoy it and they would eat it. But then there were others who were saying, well, how in the world could you be going buying meat at this meat market when the other portion of that meat is being used to worship idols at an idol worship service somewhere down the street? Don't you understand what these people are doing? And what's wrong with you buying meat? You shouldn't be buying this meat. You shouldn't be eating this meat. You shouldn't be doing anything with this meat. Don't you understand what's going on here? And so there's a tremendous division that was taking place in the church because there are people in the church who were eating the meat and there are other people in the church who are saying they shouldn't be eating the meat. And there's a big controversy developing over whether you should eat meat or not. And so that's what's going on here. So as we begin to look at this, we start to ask some questions and that's it. You know what? What Paul is saying is, he says, you know what? In verse 25, eat anything that's sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. He's saying, for the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. We're saying sometimes is, you know what, don't ask so many questions. Don't be overly concerned about every little thing that's going on. If you go and you buy meat at the meat market, then go ahead and eat it and enjoy it. Barbecue it, fillet it, fry it, cube it, dice it, slice it. Whatever you want to do to it. Have a good time and enjoy it. Because why? Because God and the world that he's made and everything in it is good. All you got to do is go back and read Genesis. Everything God created was good and it was for our enjoyment. And he's saying, just enjoy it. It's meat. You understand what it is? It's a piece of meat. Just go have a good time. Everything is in it. You know, sometimes it's amazing to me. Have you ever been around people? And I know because I, I have a tendency to do this. 
And I, and I really was convicted about it as I was studying and putting all this together. And I was like, God's going, hey, this is your problem, buddy. And I'm going, well, what's that? Well, no, it can't be. He said, yeah, it is. Think about it for a minute. Think about your life. Think about everything that you do. I'm going, man. Do you ever meet people that overly spiritualize everything? I mean, I, I know I have a tendency to do that. It's like if you're going to go buy a car, they would tell you, who the CEOs of the company are that you're going to buy this car from. They would want you to investigate who the people are that worked on the assembly line, what their personal religious belief system is. They would tell you that if you buy red, you really shouldn't do that because that's symbolic of something satanic. And they go to a long list of things that overly spiritualize the fact that you want to buy a certain car and they don't think that you should because there's some spiritual implication to all of this. Have you ever, have you ever been around people like that? Just feel, free, just feel freed up, don't you? like, man, talk about shoving you under the ice and covering it up. It's like, really? Oh, okay. Or clothes. I forget. There was some, some line of clothes not too long ago. Some, somebody's line of clothes, and I can't even remember what it was. Somebody was a Satan worshiper, and they manufacture a clothing line. And you, if you bought clothes from this lady that made these clothes, it was like you were contributing to satanic worship and all the rest of this stuff. And then I, then I had somebody come to me and say, did you see the Lion King? Yeah. Do you realize the subliminal message to the Lion King? Well, I might have missed it. <laughs> if it was subliminal. <laughs> but I know I had this craving for popcorn. <laughs> but tell me what you saw and heard. And I was like, well, do you know the circle of life? I mean, it's symbolic of reincarnation. Ooh. Oh. And you know what? Listen to what I'm saying. Please, in the context of what I'm saying, if we're informed of some things, we need to take those things into consideration. But do you understand what's going on here? Do you see what's happening to us? The same thing was happening to them. Do you realize that that meat, that meat is a part of a carcass of an animal where the other half went somewhere down the road and they used it to worship some idols? Do you understand what's happening to us? We can overly spiritualize everything in life to the point that we don't have any freedom or enjoyment in Christ. And that's sad. But it's true. And we need to recognize how true that is. If some of these are true, we need to deal with them and we'll talk about it. But you know, the interesting thing is he says, you know, if you eat eat anything that's sold in the market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord and all that it contains. And if an unbeliever invites you and you wish to go, eat anything that's set before you and don't even ask any questions for conscience sake. Just go and have a good time and enjoy yourself. You know what's interesting? Let me give you a true story. I was at a wedding and I don't remember if I, was, if I had performed this wedding or whether we were just at this wedding. But I'll give you an example. Anyways, two non-Christians that were getting married. And they had an open bar, and at the, at the end of whatever all that was, you know, and they, they had the wedding party come in, and, they, and they, had, um, they had the toast. It was time to toast the bride and groom. And so they just went around to every table, and, you know, and that's just the way that it was, and they filled up everybody's glasses with champagne. Oh, God, what am I going to do? Have you ever been there? Oh, it's not all non-Christians. They don't have a clue. What's right? What's wrong? What meat means? What good meat? What's bad meat? What's worship idols? Whatever. I'm barbecuing. It looks good. You want it? And they're saying, hey, let's toast the bride and groom. And I may get thrown out of church for this. 
We picked up the champagne. We toasted the bride and groom. We took a little sip of champagne. We put the glass back down. We didn't get hammered. We didn't get ripped. We didn't get drunk. We didn't get anything. And you know what else we didn't do? We didn't make a big scene about, oh my gosh, I can't drink. Why not? Because they wouldn't understand anyway. And it's for conscience sake. Do you understand the problem that we're dealing with in our culture? We make a big issue. We major on the minors. And we need to recognize the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And the world that we live in needs to see that freedom. Because when they see the freedom that we have, they'll be attracted to the master we now serve voluntarily and out of joy. But man, I've seen people, I've seen Christians make big deals over the dumbest things in the world. And then you wonder why the people that you're sharing with and talking to don't want anything to do with this God you say you love and serve. We get so hung up on stuff. It's like, you know, and some of you are cringing right now thinking, it's a compromise. He's a, he sold out. <laughs> he sold out. No, I didn't. See? See what we're dealing with? It's interesting. See, their problem wasn't movies or R-rated movies or dancing or playing cards or listening to the music that has the beat of the devil. <laughs> Their problem was meat. Man, I don't know. I love meat. Steak, good stuff. I'm glad I have to deal with that. See, you know, there is freedom in Jesus Christ. We need to recognize that. And you see, that's what he's trying to tell us. If an unbeliever invites you and you wish to go, eat anything that's set before you. Don't even worry about it. Don't even ask any questions. Just enjoy yourself and, and let them see the freedom that you have in Christ. Now, understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that, you know, and see, in our culture, the big problem that we have is drinking and, and smoking and uh, going to movies and a whole long list of things. And we'll talk about that next week. And, and I'm not advocating any of those things. All that I'm saying is that we need to recognize that there's a principle involved here. And he goes on and says, but you know what? If it is brought to your attention that someone says this meat sacrificed to idols, then don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you, for conscience sake. So what he's saying was, you know, there were people who had been involved in idol worship that sacrificed meat to idols. They had just come to know the freedom that's in Christ. They had just be, become born again. They had just become Christians. They had just become believers. And now they're at this gathering and they know that the meat that's being served at this meeting is meat that was used, that they used to use. And it might have been yesterday and it might have been the week before. It might have been a month before. It was so close to their, their, their experience that they said, I can't do that. And how can you eat that meat? And so what Paul's saying, if you really love that person and you want to cause that person to stumble and you want to be, do that which is edifying or building up that other person, say, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that that was offered to the idols. And you're right. We probably shouldn't eat it. And what's so funny about it is, he's saying, but you know what? If you take that piece of meat home later, it's like, hey, can you put this in a doggy bag for me? <laughs> and go home and scarf down and have a great time. All that he's saying was, you sit there and go, but that's hypocritical. No, it's not. It's compassionate. It's edifying. It helps the other person understand. Oh, okay, well, I'm not going to cause you to stumble. If that's a conviction that you have and something that you're struggling with, I'm going to help you through that. And as you learn and as you grow and as you understand your freedom in Christ, one day will come where you'll look back on that and laugh about the fact you made a big deal about eating meat that was served to idols, and you'll enjoy the freedom that you have in Christ. But because it's so close to your experience, I'm not going to cause you to stumble. 
Do you see what's happening as far as our culture is concerned? See, to me, drinking and swearing and running around and doing all the things that I used to do was so a part of who I was before I was a Christian that when I became a Christian, I immediately separated myself from all those things. I wouldn't think about having a beer. I wouldn't think about having a glass of wine. I wouldn't think about drinking again because I knew that it was so much of my identity as a non-believer. Do you understand? Can you relate to this? But then on the other hand is, it would be so wrong to say that having a beer or a glass of wine, now if you understand anything about me, you know I don't advocate and I don't think it's wise behavior and personally I don't drink. But the problem is, is that we've got that cultural problem in our country today that's no different than the meat problem of this particular day. And we see churches divided because someone will have a glass of wine with dinner. Or somebody will like a a beer. And I'm not saying drunkenness because that's very specific in Scripture. But what I am saying is we need to understand where the Bible is not specific, we need not also lead others into bondage by our own personal convictions. My conviction will not do anything for you if you are not convicted by the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit in your life telling you the same thing that He's telling me. And if He's not telling you the same thing, then you've got to do what's right before God. Do you understand this? But what happens is this. Churches begin to regulate and and all of a sudden include these as part of their policies and guidelines and restrictions of those they're going to have in certain positions. We need to be careful about this. We need to understand that if the Bible is not specific about it, what we are doing, Galatians 5.1, is saying this. We're leading people back to bondage. We're leading people back to a lifestyle that is not conducive with freedom. We need to be careful about these things. And I know that, I, I think if you look at all this, you're saying, well, what are you trying to say? Well, here's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> don't give me your list of personal do's and don'ts of personal do's and don'ts, and I won't give you my list of personal do's and don'ts. And you can enjoy your freedom, and I can enjoy my freedom, and if you don't do what I think you should do, I'm not going to slander you or lead you to feel guilty because I don't do something that you are currently doing. Do you understand how important this is? I'm dealing with a guy who just gave his life to the Lord. He still swears like a sailor and he still chews tobacco. And we have the greatest talks about spiritual things. Some of you would freak out. You'd be like, no way. You wouldn't have anything to do with him. But I recognize this, that God is controlling his growth. And if he watches my life and if he reads the Bible and the Holy Spirit convicts him of errors in his life, then I just sit and I laugh and I look at him today and I realize that he who began a good work in him will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And he's bringing him along at his pace and in his manner and in his style and he knows his heart, he knows his needs and you know what? The last thing that I'm going to do is mess it up by telling him, man, that's gross, you're spitting all over the place, you're getting it all over me. <laughs> yeah? You see? see? See how we are though? And you know what the most wonderful thing about this man is? That he's got a wife who loves the Lord and just continues to love him in spite of all the things that must be driving her crazy. That's sweet. That is so sweet to see it. And it's great to see what God can do in the lives of other people where we can never do it. Leading people into bondage isn't going to free them up. So we need to understand that this is what grace is all about. 
Now, I know some of you are thinking, and I know because I think the same thing. Oh, but, 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 but. But what? But what if it's in the Bible? Well, then if it's in the Bible, then I would wholeheartedly recommend that you do what God says to do. You follow me? If the Bible says it, believe it. If it's a list in Scripture, then obey it. With your whole heart, don't hesitate. But if it's there, and I'm doing something that's violating the list that's clearly represented there, then please share it with me because I need to know it. And once I'm rec- I recognize it, and the Spirit of God says, Amen, that's true, that's what it says, and He begins to deal with me in my life, then I will begin to deal with whether I want to be obedient or not. But if it's in the Bible, then believe it and do it and live it. If it's not there, then stop trying to tell people it is because what they're doing bothers you. And you don't like the way they live. That's not leading anybody to freedom. That's leading them into bondage. Let's free one another up. Let's have some fun. I mean, life is short. And it's not just a matter of having fun. But it certainly is enjoyable while we're here if we understand the freedom that comes with it. There's two important questions that we started to talk about. You know, really what we're talking about is balance. It's really what it's all about. Balance. It's balancing our freedom that we have in Christ with being responsible as well. Freedom and responsibility go hand in hand. Once we abuse the freedom, then it's no longer longer freedom. It becomes anarchy or lawlessness. So we balance the freedom with responsibility. And that's all this passage is talking about. Balancing the freedom in Christ with our responsibility toward God and one another. In Romans 6, if you remember, we took a look at basically two questions. We saw in the first half of the section, Romans 6, 1, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Or in Romans 6, 15, the second part that leads us into another discussion is, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law anymore but under grace? And the answer to both in both cases is, No way. What God is warning us is, in Romans 6, 1, He says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? The questions are different. And the answers are the same, no, but we need to explain what's going on here. When a person puts their life, gives their life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says we're now free from sin, we're free from the slavery of sin, and now we can walk in our freedom. The struggle that they had is, is that, oh, you know what though? Well, but if I go on sinning, God will keep showing me His grace. And the answer is, no, don't think like that, that's the wrong way to think. This is for those of us who live a life always worrying about whether today I'm going to sin or not. I'm going to mess up today. I'm going to mess up today. I'm going to mess. I mean, you, talk, you, you, want, to, you want to live in bondage for a day? Wake up and think, I'm going to mess up today. I'm going to mess up today. I know I'm going to sin today. I know I'm going to screw up. I know somewhere along the line, I'm not perfect. I never will be. I'm going to mess up again. You know, there are people who live like that. And there's not a lot of freedom in that. So what we do is immediately we begin to teach new Christians, you know what, you need to know 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9 says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just. Forgive your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Oh, thank you very much. But see, what's ma- isn't that what you're taught? Don't worry, we're all going to make mistakes. But you know what, he says this, hey, you know what, you're no longer a slave to sin anymore. You don't have to wake up thinking you're going to make a mistake. Because now you have something, someone in your life, the Holy Spirit, and the power that He brings with Him to live a life that's pleasing to God you never had before. Just get up and enjoy the freedom you have in Christ and go out and live a life that's pleasing to God and don't even worry about it. 
See, our mindset is, it's like saying, telling a kid that goes up to the plate, hey, you know what? You're going to strike out sometimes, but that's okay. Go up there and uh, try not to strike out. 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 I'm going to strike out. I'm going to strike out. Strike two. I'm going to strike out, but I'm going to have to try to strike out. Well, it's okay because everybody strikes out. Strike three. You're out of there. Man, I struck out. And they walk back. He goes, I struck out. You know, it's like there's nobody that I know, any athlete at all that I know of that's successful in what they do. They never enter a game thinking I'm going to strike out. No one ever enters a game thinking I'm only going to throw two interceptions today. No one enters a game thinking I'm just going to fumble once, maybe twice. And that's okay if I do because everybody does. And in professional sports, they have a name for people who make that many mistakes. They call them unemployed. But, but other than that, the, the reality of it is, is don't you understand that what God is saying is, you know what, stop living your life every day afraid to fail. Failure is an exception because now you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and you've got the conviction of the Holy Spirit and now you know right from wrong and now you don't have to worry about failing anymore but go out and enjoy the freedom that comes in Christ. The second question isn't even like the first question because the first question is I'm going to continue living in sin because I can't help myself. The second question is for us who are a little more sophisticated than that. Yes, I've been freed from sin. Yes, I know that I have a choice. And you know what? Today I'm going to choose to do the wrong thing. Hey, hit a nerve. All right now. Romans 6.15, what shall I say? Shall we sin? Not shall we continue in sin. Shall we sin? This is for all of the rest of us who sit there and the Spirit of God says, don't do that, that's wrong. And you sit there and go, I know it is, but I also know 1 John 1.9. Ha, 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 ha. Got that one memorized now. You know? I know it. I know if I confess it, I can do it. And God will forgive me. But I'm going to go ahead. How many of you ever, don't even raise your hands, but just ask yourself a question now. How many of you ever thought of that? Hey, I can do this because I know God will forgive me. And I know that verse, that First John 1, 9. I'm glad they taught me that right when I became a Christian. It's coming handy all the time. I want to just do what I want to do. Just throw that out. You know, it's my sin insurance policy. Just throw that thing out. See, that's what the question is, and it's so twisted that we get to the point of saying, you know what, this is great. I can sin whenever I want because I have the freedom to choose whether I want to sin or be obedient, and God will forgive me because I'm going to ask Him for forgiveness. Isn't that amazing how we are? But God knows that that's why He did this. That's why He helps us with this. You know what, take all of this and everything we've been saying and look at Romans 6, and we'll close on this. Romans 6, 19 through 23. If you want to lead others to freedom, we need to recognize that this is true. That grace gives us the freedom to choose. Grace gives us the freedom to choose. If we're going to lead one another to freedom, we need to realize that, you know what? God really does give us the freedom to make choices. But we must recognize there's a very real danger of, of abusing the privileges that comes with grace. And we need to develop a state of mind that will precede our actions. We need to recognize that with choices, there's a possibility of making right choices and wrong choices. And in Romans 6, 19 through 23, we read this. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. 
Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of these things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Two thoughts. We'll close on this. Grace gives us the freedom to choose, but what I would highly recommend is that we make the right choices. I would highly recommend that we make the right choices. Because the choices that we make, as we make them in our right, and that's what he's saying, I'm speaking of the fact that, you know what, when you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. He's saying, you know, remember the days where you had the freedom to choose and you would make wrong choices. What happened? You got deeper and deeper. It's like you told a lie and it would beget another lie and it would beget another lie. And before you know it, you'd have to say it does tell a dozen lies to cover the one lie that you started with. And what he's saying is that sin is like that. It's like quicksand. Once you make a wrong choice and you start heading down that road, you sink deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's what we've got to be able to understand is that there are consequences for the wrong decisions. And he's talking about the fact that, you know what, stop making wrong decisions because there's consequences to it, but make right decisions because, why? Because there's going to be benefits to it. Make the right choice and enjoy the benefits. You know, what's really sad to me, and it breaks my heart, is that so many of us are are buying into the lie that, you know what, I can do this, and it's wrong before God. I'm not talking about our personal do's and don'ts. I'm talking about the list that's very clear. I can do this, And I know it's wrong before God, and there will not be any consequences for it because I'll hurry up and ask for forgiveness. The reality of that is foolishness, that there's nothing true to that statement whatsoever. Is that when you make a wrong choice and you sin before God, God says, don't deceive yourself or kid yourself that what a man sows, he will also reap. There's very real consequences to it. I see it all the time. I'm going to lie. And I'm going to get away with it. Ask God to forgive me. No, you're not going to get away with it. You're not going to get away with it at all. Because there's things that you're going to lose by making that mistake. I'm going to cheat on my spouse. I'm going to walk away from my marriage. I'm going to cheat in business. I'm not going to pay my debts. Uh, You know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do the other thing. And I'm going to go ahead and it's going to be okay. And we're going to be able to work it out. We're going to be able to make it so that it doesn't affect anybody. It doesn't hurt anybody. That there's no consequence to be paid. There's no price to be paid. It's going to be great. We'll all get along. No, you won't. That's foolishness. It's deception. It's a lie from the pit of hell because Satan wants to destroy your life and your family and your children and everybody around you. He hates you because you're a child of God and he wants to ruin your life. He wants to ruin your reputation. He wants to ruin your integrity. He wants to destroy your credibility before non-Christians around you who you've been sharing with and talking about the things of God to. And he's just wanting you to screw up one time so they can discount everything that you said and said, oh, he's another hypocrite and she's another hypocrite just like everybody else. He wants to destroy us and everything that we stand for. He wants to destroy our reputation. He wants to destroy our church. He wants to destroy our relationship with other Christians. He wants to destroy all of it. He wants to ruin you. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a roaring lion. And he's looking to devour anybody that he can get a hold of and destroy with his lies. He was a liar from the beginning. And that's all this is all about is understanding that he's a liar. And God tells the truth. And the truth is what sets us free. And the truth punches huge breathing holes in the ice so we can pop our head up and enjoy what God has to offer. Make the right choice. 
Focus on the benefits of God. That's what grace is all about. Can we abuse the freedom? Absolutely. But can I restrain you from doing what you're going to do? Not in any way. Can I be of some help or assistance? Or can, does iron sharpen iron? Yes, it does. Can we hold each other accountable and help each other? Yes, we can. But you know what? When it comes time to making the final decision, that conviction has to come from within you. And you've got to do the right thing. I've got a couple of friends who are struggling with areas of their life, and I love them dearly, and they know that I do. And I'll never get in their face and tell them what to do. I will encourage them. I will help them to see the truth. I will help them to see what God has to say. I will show them scripture. I will do whatever I can to love them through what they're struggling with right now. But I can't tell them to do the right thing. Because I don't have the power. But God does. The Spirit of God will restrain them. The Spirit of God will point them to truth. The Spirit of God will give them the power and the strength to get back in and to work things out and to dig in deep and to do what's right before God. And God will bless that and God will honor that. And there's benefits to it. The, the, the consequences of wrong decision are the wages of sin is death. The benefits of making the right choice, man, are life. Eternal life, abundant life, a joyous life. And you know what? And I realize that in spite of the consequences that sin may bring, I still must emphasize this truth. That grace means we allow others the freedom to make choices regardless of the choices that they may make. And if you are a parent that is a controlling type of individual, may I suggest to you that you allow your children to make choices. That they learn this truth as fast as they can. That right choices produce benefits and wrong choices produce consequences. That you let them go. That you turn them loose. There are a whole bunch of churches that try to control and manipulate the outcome of what people believe. And what I would recommend to any pastor or any teacher or anybody that's in a pulpit anywhere is that you just teach the truth and you stick to it. Yeah, I know we got programs and we got all the stuff that we want to see done and all these things accomplished. But let me tell you something. If you want a voluntary army to volunteer, then you give them the freedom to choose whether they want to be a part of it or not. And you allow the Spirit of God to move in their hearts to lead them in that direction. You cannot manipulate and contort or contrive any amount of effort to make people do what you think that they should do. God will do a very good job at that. Our job is to free one another up. I think it's time that some of us start punching some holes in the ice and start freeing each other from the grips that we've got around one another. If you have a hard time letting go, just let me read this poem to you in closing. Because I think it'll help. Because really what letting go is... It's, it's leading other people to freedom. It's anonymous, so I can't give anyone credit, but it goes, it goes something like this. To let go doesn't mean to stop caring. It means I can't do it for someone else. To let go is not to cut, is not to cut myself off. It's the rationalization or realization that I can't control another person. To let go is not to enable, but to allow learning from natural consequences. To let go is to admit powerlessness, which means the outcome is not in my hand. To let go is not to try to change or blame another. I can only change myself. To let go is not to care, is not to care for, but to care about. To let go is not to fix, but it's to be supportive. To let go is not to judge, but to allow another, but to, allow another to be a human being. To let go is not to be in the middle arranging all the outcomes but to allow others to affect their own outcomes. To let go is not to be protective. It is to permit another to face reality. 
To let go is not to deny, but it is to accept. To let go is not to nag, scold, or argue, but to search out my own shortcomings and to correct them. To let go is not to adjust everything to my desires, but to take each day as it comes. To let go is not to criticize and regulate anyone, but to try to become what dream I can be. To let go is not to regret the past, but to grow and to live for the future. To let go is to fear less and love a whole lot more. I just, you know, want to offer a challenge to you. If human beings can go to such great lengths to free a couple of whales, don't you think it's about time that we make a similar effort to free up one another? You know, grace, it really is amazing. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. God, we just pray that each one of us, as you convict us in our life and as you lead us in our life, that we would be obedient to your leading and to your direction. God, help us to be more sensitive to the differences that we see with one another. May we always be people that stand firm on truth, which we see in the scripture, which we see in the Bible. But in the other areas of life that are not clearly defined in your word, that we would free up one another, that we would have the freedom to choose, that we would have the freedom to love, and that we would have the freedom to build one another up. God, help us to become people who make an effort to punch breathing holes in the ice so that others may enjoy the freedom that they have in Christ. And we just thank you and praise you for the outcome. In his name, amen.